of the questions that people ask. And tonight, we look at this one about life after death. We'll take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We'd like to read verses 42 through 49. While you're reaching for your Bible, remember the wonderful opportunities coming our way, the singing Christmas tree, where you can invite your friends and neighbors to come with you, get an extra ticket or two at the ticket booth for them. It's a soul-winning venture. Our Christmas tree lot is now available, and uh, utilize that to support the children's ministries of our church. These are great days, wonderful days of opportunity. Use them every service designed to touch need and help people. The bulletin gives you the full schedule. I trust you will follow it carefully and particularly read that section about the open prayer hours in the prayer room. Some of you need to take those hours and pledge yourself to that same hour every week in our prayer room. Let's fill up the schedule. It's our desire to have somebody here praying round the clock. And if you will look at that schedule that shows us the hours that are available, we would appreciate many of you stepping in and helping us out. Beginning at verse number 42 of 1 Corinthians 15, could I prevail upon you to stand one more time? It just seems so right when we read the Word of God to stand. And let's do it like we do on Sunday morning. I'll read verse 42 if you'll follow with verse 43 and write down through the 49. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption it is raised in incorruption. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for helping me. I have been reading a new book about trends. What we are to look for when we approach the year 2000 in our world. And it was interesting to discover in that book that there is one major question in the minds of people around the world, and that is what happens when it's all over here. You know there are people who really want to know you can live forever all over the place. And nobody has the answer except the church. 
of Jesus Christ. And that puts us in a very strong position as technology and everything else gets more complicated and controls life more and more, we still come back to a lot of the basics. And one of them is what happens when it's all over here. George Buttrick writes in a book called Christ and Man's Dilemma, when he does die, the undertaker strives to make it appear that he has not died. He dresses him in a tuxedo and lays him in a narrow box as if he were asleep, even though a man does not usually sleep in a tuxedo in a narrow box. I thought that was quite an observation. There is a funeral for, unfortunately, for our evasions, the man has died. Too bad about so-and-so, but let's not think about it. So we run to our familiar hiding place in the sensate world, and the cynic calls religion an escape. In truth, religion alone refuses to be blind to the fact of death. End of quote. How true it is. Winston Churchill said, I am ready to meet my maker, but whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. Harry Young in What is Your Worst Fear wrote, Dying, it's the one thing I know nothing about. I've got no control over it. I can't choose how, where, when. I guess those two things not knowing what it's about and having no control over it, make it number one. Boy, how true it is number one when we boil it all down. Now, I want to share about five things with you tonight in these few moments that I have with you about life after death. I must begin with the inevitability of our decease. I won't spend long on that because I think it's fairly apparent. Hebrews 9.27 is true. It is appointed unto man once to die. And somebody asked me one day, prove it to me. And I thought, what a stupid question. It's happening all the time. That was my answer. It's happening all the time. What more proof do you need? Pick up the paper in the morning. It'll be in there. Certain numbers of citizens, since the paper was printed yesterday, will have taken the route that all men take. It is appointed unto men once to die. The time is indeterminate. The appointment inescapable. All of us face death. I've said before, we're all dying. I preach to a dying congregation every Sunday. We are closer to death today than yesterday. We are. 
We just must face that. We have one last day to live and one week less than last Sunday. It's inescapable, the inevitability of our decease. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what accolades have come your way. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank or don't have in the bank. We are all heading in the same direction. We all die. And it ought to say something to us tonight, even sitting here in church. Now, the second thing is the immense, or the imminence, I should say, of our departure. The imminence of our departure. Sooner or later, the call comes. Now, it used to be that you could not delay it. That is slightly altered now by medical science. And I want to just speak to that for a moment from the great theologian Archie Bunker. Spencer Marsh in a little thing called God, Man, and Archie Bunker, wrote this. When you got to go, you got to go. You go because he wants you and when he wants you. And he don't want no quack doctors putting new hearts into you and keeping you here against his will because it throws him off his schedule. It throws him all off. Now, you do that to him, throw his schedule off like that, and when you get up there, you'll have to answer to him, won't you? Because he'll want to know why you didn't come up when you were called, why you were late, why you ignored him. End of quote. The Bible says life is a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and always when you see this matter of life and death in the Bible, the emphasis is on its brevity, not on its length. For a little time, and then vanisheth away. 60, 70, 80, 90 years, the Bible says, is like a tale that is told. It isn't long. Preparation for this inevitable event is wise. Because the call could come today, the call could come tomorrow, it could come suddenly. So it's wise to prepare. It is unwise to procrastinate, to put it off. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. And fool, Jesus said, this night your soul shall be required of you. Yet we are a people of procrastination rather than a people of preparation. It is far easy, far easier to put it off than it is to face what we ought to do to get ready. That's why we have services like this. That's why we beam messages out over the radio and in every way that we can to a listening ear and a hungry heart so that they can prepare and stop putting off the inevitability of death. They need to get ready. Today is the day of salvation. Sir, don't leave this building tonight without 
making sure you're ready to meet Christ. Lady, don't leave this building without making your peace with God. Young person, don't you walk out those doors until you can say, Jesus is my Savior and I'm ready to die because you don't know whether you have a tomorrow or not. None of us do. We need to prepare now. Thirdly, the implications of our death. This is something that we don't think about often enough. One of the implications of our death is divine judgment. After this, the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment, divine judgment. Man tries to suppress the knowledge that we are all accountable to God. He doesn't want to think about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. But inwardly, he knows he's going to face God. You walk out on the street, talk to anybody on the street. Inwardly, they know. Mentally, they may not have come to the point of understanding it. But inwardly, they know they're going to have to face a judgment. Acts 17.31 says, He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, capital M, by the man whom he has ordained, Jesus Christ by name. Judgment is expected. But there are two groups that face the judgment. Let me rehearse those two groups for you. One, those who die out of Christ. If you will take your Bible and open to the book of Revelation, the 20th chapter, you will see the judgment described for those outside of Christ. Verses 11 through 15 graphically portray what they face. If you want to be in this group, I don't understand it. So listen. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is a judgment for those outside of Christ. Every person who has ever lived and has not trusted Christ as Savior will be in that company described in verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, 
stand before God. They trusted in their works, willing to take a chance, only to discover that their name was not written in the book of life. And the Lord God of heaven had no alternative but to cast them into the lake of fire. Their judgment is clearly described. The other company are those who died in Christ, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Judgment not to find out if we are saved, but for an assessment of our life since conversion. That is why the great judgment is coming for the church, to see how faithful we were to the opportunities given us following our salvation. And I want to ask you tonight how you're doing. Are you faithful? You're going to have to stand before God to give an account of your works following conversion. Thank God our sins are buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin, but we must stand before him to give an account of our works. Have we been faithful to him? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tried to get that early church cued in on this particular idea. They, too, were not thinking in terms of the future. In verse 13, he said, Each one's work will become manifest. We're not saved by our work. We're saved by faith, but once we're saved, our works are very important to God. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, you see. Because he's saved by faith in Christ, he will be saved, but all that he did will be burned up. I don't want that to happen, do you? I don't want that to occur. I don't want it to occur in your life. So I'm here to challenge you tonight to remember that God's mercy has reached you. And now he expects you to live for him and to serve him. He expects you to pay him the tithe, to give him your offerings. He expects you to get involved in some way in kingdom business through the church that he has established on earth. He doesn't want you to just sit and soak. He wants you to get busy and do something for his glory. And you'll be judged for your lack or your ability of doing that. Absent from the body, Paul said, for the believer is to be where? Present with the Lord. I love that passage. I like the way Paul looked at death. He perhaps gives us more on the subject than anybody else in the Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 5 is another one of my favorite passage is describing this experience for the believer. 2 Corinthians 5, For we know 
that if our earthly house, this tent, see, that's a great picture, this tent, if it's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, like a tent. It's eternal in the heavens. You can picture a tent being hit by a storm and just being picked right up and uprooted and torn down, which is the way these bodies are. They're like tents. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. What Paul is saying is that we're going to exchange a tent for a house. We're going to have something substantial when we have stood before him, if we're faithful to him, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. In verse 6, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You fear death? No believer should fear death. That doesn't mean that we are anxious for it to come, necessarily. If we were, I suppose, this thing of fear when you're flying and it gets real stormy and all wouldn't even be present with you. But the fact is we're not in any big hurry, but we're not afraid either. I'm not anxious for it, but I don't fear it. I have too much to do yet in my estimation, but that may not be God's estimation. See, that's his choice. But whenever it comes, I'm not afraid, for to be absent is to be present. And I'm ready. And I pray that you are as well. Now, number four is the issue for our decision. Here is a very important point. After the implications of our death, the issue for our decision. Here is the issue. Death is not the end of everything. Now, that ought to be understood, but a lot of folk don't seem to grasp that. Death is not the end. You see, people take their lives every day thinking that is going to end it. It doesn't. It does not end anything. Where did we get the idea? that that solves problems. It's not certainly from the Bible. Now look with me at John chapter 5. Jesus speaks in John 5, 28 and 29 about life and judgment. And he says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Then go back up to verse 24 where he begins this section and he says, most assuredly, 
I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And that passing from death into life is eternal. It has no ending. Just because there's a funeral does not end anything that began when a person made his choice. One generation of Christians will not experience death. The Bible teaches us also. And we may be that generation. I really believe it could happen in our generation. That's what the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is really all about. When you look at verse 5 of this chapter, he was seen by Cephas, Jesus, then by the 12. You see, the cross didn't end it. He was seen by Cephas, then he was seen by the 12. And when you come to verse 52, it says, we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That's the issue for decision. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 The dead in Christ are going to rise first. We which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hear me tonight, friends. The issue for our decision is that death is not the end of everything. It is but a transition into that which really matters and that which lasts forever. I have used this line many times in funerals. I heard it from E. Stanley Jones years ago. He said, death is but the anesthetic God uses while he's changing bodies. I've never heard anything better. Listen to me. I don't know if you're here with suicidal tendencies, but please, in the name of Jesus, get them out of your mind. Taking your life never ends life. You must face eternity. Let God work in you to bring about His purposes so that you can live life the way he said it could be lived abundantly, fully, with joy and with meaning. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's available tonight. Let us pray with you and believe God with you for that kind of life. Death is not the end of everything. And number five, the illustrations of our destiny. We have in this passage in 1 Corinthians the illustration of a new body. We read it rather quickly. Go back and look at it again. The body is sown in corruption. How is it raised? In incorruption. Just think about that. That's worth coming to church for in itself. The body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Wow. 
life after death. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. We're going to be like him. When he came back from the grave, he was alive. He ate fish with his disciples by the sea. He moved into rooms where the doors were locked to bless them. And he ascended from their presence in the clouds to go back to the Father. We're going to have a body just like that. I am not anxious to travel to the moon because I'm going to go beyond it some one of these days. I'm not anxious to try one of these heavy spacesuits and see how far up I can go and live because I'm going to go far beyond what that spacesuit could ever provide for me. I'm going to be with my Lord and He's going to give me a new body. Hallelujah. It was sown in dishonor. It will be raised in honor. It was sown in weakness. It's going to be raised in power. It was from the dust. It's going to be as His body in that moment of resurrection or rapture, whatever comes first, a new body. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to His disciples in John 14? He talked about not just a new body, but he talked about a new environment. In John 14, 1 and 2, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Can you imagine the environment where God lives? That's the place He's preparing for us, and He's been working at it. For 2,000 years, can you imagine what God can do in 2,000 years of creative genius? He's creating an environment for you and me. What allurements do this world have when you think about what is awaiting the child of God? How could you go back to the beggarly things of this world when there's a new environment waiting you out there where He is? Oh, hallelujah. What illustrations are in this book about heaven? Take your Bible and open to Revelation. I want to walk you through several passages in Revelation real quick here to wrap this up. Starting in chapter 5. Heaven is a real place. I dare the agnostic, I dare the atheist to try to take that out of our hearts. Heaven is a real place. We know it. People have had glimpses of it. John had a revelation of it. And it's been recorded and kept for all of these years. Loved ones and friends who have died just before passing have given us glimpses of heaven. Hallelujah. Real. In Revelation 5, verses 9 through 14, you find the unstinted worship of heaven. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God. They're singing this. This is a new chorus. 
And I don't think it'll have to go up on a screen. I think it's just going to flow out of our hearts. When you come down to verse 12, they're singing again with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And look at verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, wow, what a voice. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. These people are saying, I will never acknowledge him as Lord. Better look into the record. Seems like John saw everybody and heard everybody, wherever they were, acknowledging him for who he is. Unstinted worship in that wonderful place. Revelation 7, verse 9, we have what we call a United Nations, which is anything but united. But look at verse 9 of chapter 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You talk about United Nations. There it is. Right there. That's the only time it will ever occur. Right there in Revelation 7. People of all nations, tribes, languages, they're going to be united. They're going to be doing the same thing, blessing Him who sits on the throne. Wow. Heaven is a real place. Un. Limited honor going to him who sits there. Look at verse 12. They said, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Ultimate honor given to him who deserves it. What a place heaven will be. Flip over to Revelation 22. There are several things in Revelation 22 universal healing. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Universal healing. In that day, there will be no sickness, there will be no disease, there will be no chaos as we know it today. Oh, what a place heaven is going to be. Look at verse 3, uninhibited living, there shall be no more curse. Boy, I've got that underlined. There shall be no more curse. My lawn in the backyard looks terrible. I've got some kind of fungus in it. It's just like a curse. Once it was beautifully green. I was proud of it. Now I don't want anybody to look out the back window until I have a chance to rectify the problem. And I don't seem to find a chance. I keep the drape drawn so nobody can look out to the back. But there, there will be no curse. No more fungus among us. No more thorns, no more weeds, no more headaches. Hallelujah!
universal healing and uninhibited living. No more late airplanes. Unwearying service. Look at the next part of verse 3. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. When you've got a lot of energy and you have a lot of things to do, one of the most frustrating things is to get tired because you still have things to do. You want to keep going, and yet the body says you'd better slow down. I have news for you. According to the Scripture, heaven will be a place where his servants serve him, and there will be no weariness in the doing of it. Hallelujah. His servants have one desire, to serve him, and they will do it day and night. Unwearying service. Look at the next verse. Undarkened vision. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. They shall see his face. How many of you in recent days have gone through something that seemed that his face could not be seen? It was obscured from your presence. Just raise your hand. Just go ahead and admit it. Sure, we all walk through those kinds of times. You pray and it doesn't seem to get above your head. Heaven. Heaven. This place after death for the believer knows no such bounds. His face will be seen. His name will be in our foreheads. Undarkened vision. Utter recompense will be there. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. You'll never have to argue in heaven about eternal security. Because that's what it's all about up there. It's eternal. Forever and ever. How many times do you see that coming at you in these verses? Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Unending day. Forever and ever. And undisputed authority. The Lord God gives them light and they shall reign. Forever and ever. Reign. You know what it means to reign? It means you have authority. The devil can't get in. None of his imps can sneak one in on you. You're going to be reigning with him with unlimited authority and unlimited power to do the will of God forever. Friends, all of this down here is but a trial period. It's just rehearsal. It's practice. It's the proving ground as we prepare for the big event that is going to take place when we move in to the presence of God. Life after death, it's just as sure as the nose on your face. Judgment for the believer is a judgment of his works. Judgment for the unbeliever is eternal judgment because you rejected God's only method of salvation. Jesus Christ, his son, faith in him. 
Where will you spend eternity? One thing we often forget, death doesn't end life. Booth Tucker of the Salvation Army gave us a story from years back that I want to close with tonight, speaking of the sufficiency of Christ. In Chicago one day, Booth Tucker had preached, and from the throng a burdened toiler came and said to him in front of the audience that Booth Tucker had preached to, Booth Tucker, you can talk like that about how Christ is dear to you and helps you but if your wife was dead as my wife is and you had some babies crying for their mother who would never come back, you would not say what you are saying. Just a few days after, Booth Tucker lost his beautiful and nobly gifted wife in a railway accident. And the body was brought to Chicago and carried to the Salvation Army barracks for the funeral service. Booth Tucker stood up after the funeral service and he stood by the casket of his dear wife, looked down into the face of his silent partner and said, the other day when I was here, a man said, I could not say Christ was sufficient. If my wife were dead and my children were crying for their mother, if that man is here, I tell him that Christ is sufficient. My heart is all crushed. My heart is all bleeding. My heart is all broken. But there is a song in my heart, and Christ put it there. And if that man is here, I tell him that. Although my wife is gone and my children are motherless, Christ speaks comfort to me today. That man was there, and down the aisle he came and fell down before the casket and said, Verily, if Christ can help us like that, I will surrender to him. Right there on that spot, that man was saved and got ready for heaven. Friends, that's what this gospel does. You can travel the whole world over. You can search and you can argue and you can fuss all you want. But we're all dying. And after death, the judgment. And God gives us the opportunity in services like this, to make a decision to accept the provision that he made for all men by faith to trust in Christ so that you can spend eternity with blessing, with hope, and with life. It's your choice. I can't force it on you. Nobody on this earth can force it on you. It's a free gift. All you have to do is reach out and take it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If you're here tonight and you need to have the assurance that you're ready to die, Jesus Christ is the only one I've ever met that can give you such assurance. I plead with you to make him your choice tonight. Don't leave it up to chance. Leave it up to Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for miracles of conversion. We pray for miracles of salvation. Because all of us are dying. We're all on our way. And we're going to all face God someday. So, Father, let young people decide. Young marrieds, moms and dads, older people, whoever's here without assurance, may they choose tonight.
to follow Christ. And Father, for those who have been beat down and they just feel like life isn't worth it, they, they know that it's just a brief time and then we're going to go and we're going to be with Him. Help them, Lord, to look up for their redemption draws nigh and to be encouraged by this message, by the Word of God that gives us such hope and assurance. While our heads are bowed, I want to ask how many of you on this Sunday night would lift a hand and say, Pastor Cole, I am not sure that if I should die tonight, I'd really be ready to meet God. I don't want to face him in the judgment that is identified as the second death. But I want to face him in the judgment of believers who will be judged for their works, yet they are saved. I want to know Christ, and then I want to get to doing something for him. Would you lift up your hand wherever you sit and say, that's me. I want to give my life.